Hello, I'm Zeb Newarth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, most of us in healthcare are familiar with Amwell and its vast telehealth network, but I'm not sure how many of us are familiar with the platform that Amwell has been deploying or the remarkable platform effect that is occurring in healthcare delivery. We're gonna discover quite a bit about this from someone whom I consider to be one of the most brilliant and accomplished entrepreneurs in healthcare today. I have to say an individual who continues to impress me with his grounded practical wisdom and his truly humanistic sense of purpose. And that person is Roy Schoenberg. Folks, this is actually the second recent interview I've had the privilege of recording with Roy. So this is part two. I would urge you to listen to part one, which was episode 129, and we posted that on March 2nd of 2022. In this dialogue, we're going to go a bit deeper and a bit more focused into Amwell's Converge platform and really want to get an understanding from Roy Schoenberg in terms of his thoughts on the implications and the impact of platforms in healthcare. Now, I'm going to introduce Roy more formally in a second. Before I do, I'd like to make a request. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and also rate it online. This actually helps others find the podcast. And, and quite honestly, I truly love hearing your perspectives on LinkedIn, through emails, Twitter. The purpose here, as you know, of this podcast is to create more dialogue and action that can really catalyze the transformation of American healthcare. A number of you have already begun rating, sharing the podcast and emailing. I greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. So again, can't tell you how pleased I am to have the privilege of introducing our guest today. Dr. Roy Schoenberg is president, CEO of Amwell. He co-founded Amwell with his brother, Ido, and since then, Amwell has grown to become one of the largest telehealth ecosystems in the world, digitally connecting providers, payers, and millions of patients in really what is an efficient modern healthcare experience. In 2013, Roy was appointed to the Federation of State Medical Boards Task Force that issued the landmark guidelines for the appropriate use of telemedicine in the practice of medicine. He was named one of modern healthcare's 100 most influential people in 2020. He is the 2014 recipient of the American Telemedicine Association Industry Award. Roy holds over 50 50 issued U.S. patents in the area of healthcare technology. He speaks frequently in industry and policy forums. He serves on the healthcare advisory board of the MIT Sloan School of Business. He holds an MD from the Hebrew University in Israel and an MPH from the Harvard School of Public Health. Roy, I could go on and on about you, but I don't want to embarrass you. How are you doing today? Thank you, Zev. I'm, I'm doing the equivalent of blushing over audio. I don't know how that works, but but thank you for the introduction. And I always come out of our conversations, you know, with with learning things. So looking forward to it, and and a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Roy, thank you. I have to say, just to let the audience know, I attended an MIT 
symposium probably about three or four weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer on the platforms in healthcare. You were there, you were on one of the panels. And I have to say, you blew me away, you blew the audience away when you spoke. And there were some amazing people on your panel. But when you spoke, you could hear a pin drop in the audience, in the auditorium. You were just so wise. And maybe we'll come back to some of your comments, particularly around the patient experience, because I, I thought it was really, really resonant with myself and with the audience. But I want to jump into something before we get into platforms. In our correspondence, when I asked you about an important issue you wanted to discuss, you wrote, and, and I quote, incorporating automation into the care experience. And so maybe this does actually touch upon what you talked about in the MIT discussion on platforms, but why is that important? Why is automation so critical? And you said the care experience. Yeah, I think if you look for validation for the you know, how important automation is, you just look at other industries, right? I mean, any industry that you can name has been transformed in many ways by a lot of different applications of automation. Automation is kind of a basket name for anywhere where we use wisdom that is not human in order to to exercise things that otherwise would require people people to do, and. I think everybody in the audience, you know, appreciates how automation is utilized. I think that in many cases, automation comes with, you know, kind of a grain of salt. People connect automation also to loss of jobs. They connect automation to less of, of a personal experience, rightfully so, which has made its arrival into healthcare a very, very loaded topic. First of all, people don't want to be cared for by bots. <laughs> that's usually how people think of automation. And I think the, you know, that's on the, on the consumer side. And frankly, if you ask most clinicians, they will have, you know, a similar adverse reaction to it in saying, we're not at a point where automation can replace clinician judgment, nor by the way, as a patient, would we get the same thing? Even if we work with a bot and it generates the right diagnosis, it still really doesn't give us the level of reassurance, the level of confidence that we, we get by, by talking to a clinician. But to most people, that is what automation means. And you know, maybe the biggest uh, or, or the place where most or many people have experienced automation in healthcare today are the various symptom checkers right? that you find on the WebMDs of the world and in other places, trying to get you a quick diagnosis without having to wait for a clinician. I would be the first one to say, I don't think they panned out that much. Huge promise really didn't, didn't move the needle dramatically. But there is another breed of automation that I think we are maybe, I don't want to say missing out on, but we are not looking at, which is the automation that can be prescribed by clinicians to extend their presence and help to patients at times where the clinician is not next to us as a patient. Because if you think about it, most of our healthcare experience as, as consumers, patients, members, depending how you, you describe them, really happens when we're on our own, not when we have clinicians next to us. And it's not that we couldn't use clinicians to hold our hand or to be next to us at all times. It's just that it would break the bank. There's just no way for us to see clinicians even more frequently or spend more time inside a variety of clinical facilities, you know, in, in a place that length of stay per day is in tens of thousands of dollars. Most of our healthcare experience is without healthcare professionals next to us. 
So if we could find a way to utilize automation, to utilize technology, to extend the presence of healthcare around patients without either trying to second guess clinicians or trying to create a false pretense that you know that the automated experience is a clinician we are going to be able to help the care of those patients help clinicians make sure that the guidance to the patient of what needs to be done is actually going to be upheld and in many ways give patients who are spending time at home on their own the reassurance that someone is taking care of them someone is watching over them what that translates into is the notion of a digital companionship the notion of something that is with you every day all day every night if you feel bad if something bad happens to you or whatever it is this is your first line of defense the first thing that you know shows up you know right next to you on your phone it has the ability to understand what you're going through it has the ability to respond to you with guidance on what to do next but it understands its role so that if things go the wrong way it actually has the ability to escalate you escalate you right directly into the hands of a live clinician so it really kind of occupies the space between visits rather than maybe try to replace visits and zeb you know i can talk for for an hour on every question so i'm <laughs> going to stop right here <laughs> that's great well and i would say I, I could listen to you for an hour in response to every question. This seems like a bit of an inflection. Amwell, my understanding is it started in the telehealth and the synchronous. There's two people who are talking together at the same time. And this sounds like you're now moving into that sort of asynchronous zone, as you put it, sort of extending the reach of the clinician or the reach of clinical care with this notion of a digital companion. So. Is this something that Amwell is already offering, or is it something that you are developing? And I'm also wondering if there are, are examples that already exist that you can speak to on this. Yeah, so I think the, the, there's two components here, right? I mean, there is the, there is the part that is the, that digital companion to a patient, that technology that lives on their phone or whatever it is that is interacting with them by text messages, by you know, in-app notification. There's a lot of different kind of capabilities there. It utilizes natural language processing and AI and, and machine learning, all of those kind of capabilities. That's one piece of the puzzle. The second piece of the puzzle, to live up to its promise to be a companion that's tied into the rest of your healthcare, it needs to know when to call it quits and bring the cavalry. And bringing the cavalry means that it needs to tie directly into the world of live synchronous telehealth, where actually the patient is speaking to a clinician, and both of them need to work in harmony. So the first part, I would be the first one to admit, as you said, this was you know not the original business of, of Amwell. We've brought in those competencies primarily by acquisition of best of breed in the market we we've made notable we made a couple of those but two notable acquisitions uh that we made in those area where we acquired conversa that does automated patient communication for medical conditions 
and they've been in the market for a while. They're one of the prime operators of that there. And we also acquired SilverCloud, which is very similar in terms of what it does, but it does automated communication with patients on areas of behavioral health. So now you have medical and behavioral health capabilities to kind of have that companionship with a the patient. Then we've taken those capabilities and integrated them into the Converge, kind of the big annual telehealth chassis that is used to facilitate interaction, live interaction between patients and clinicians. And with the two of them combined, we're able to bring into the market that offering of essentially a digital companionship that really works hand in glove with clinicians to care for patients. Uh, these are very new. I'll be the first one to say the, the rollout of that Converge platform, that new platform that has that capability is a 2022 deal. We, we've rolled it out since, you know, since the, the beginning of the summer, mostly. And we're, we're seeing great value and great adoption, but this is just the beginning of the road. And frankly, you know, as we talked about, it's also changing of the guards in understanding the role of technology in healthcare altogether. Yeah, just to kind of reflect and review a little what you said. I mean, you talked initially, you, you talked about the statement about incorporating automation into the care experience. And I think, I think from the beginning, Amwell has been doing that using state-of-the-art technology to connect people virtually and, and synchronously. So it sounds like you have been doing exactly what you just described for years and years. And now you're extending that technology into, like you say, it's sort of another breed, as you put it, of automation. And as you were talking, I was reminded of, you talked about last time we spoke, I, I never heard anyone say this, but in the future, there's going to be three domains of care. I'll say them and then you correct me and, and, and I want you to speak to this. But the first was you discussed and shared that people are still going to see people. There's still going to be a fair amount of in-person type of care. That's sort of in real life, I guess we would call it now, right? And then there's a second domain of care, which is that sort of virtual domain, the telehealth domain. And then you talked about a third domain, which is this, this new breed of automation, this digital breed of automation. And you painted this really incredible picture, which I'd love you to, to speak to right now. But it, it seems to me that you are literally creating with the acquisitions you're making and with the Converge platform, you're literally beginning to move from that second domain of virtual and tele into this third domain of automated digital. Love you to speak to this. First of all, thank you for bringing this up. I think that this, it's kind of a good way of looking at it because what we talked about was the fact that going, you know, into the not distant future, the care of any one patient is going to be a combination of care that they get in traditional healthcare buildings. Maybe that's the way to describe it, whether it's physician offices or hospitals or outpatient clinics or whatever it is. And you'll need that for surgery. You need that for blood being drawn. You need it for a CT scan and ultrasound and a variety of other services. The care of that patient will also extend to follow-up that can be primarily be delivered through digital. So there's going to be a digital dimension of care. And some of that is going to be check up with your nurse or nurse practitioner. Some of it will be seeing your PCP. Some of it will be getting referred to a follow-up with your clinician or maybe seeing your surgical team when you're discharged home after surgery to see that you're recovering. But there's a whole dimension of communication with healthcare professional that's going to happen 
on, on the digital part. And then there's going to be the automated care setting, which is that companionship that we talked about, that thing that wakes up, you know, learns that you, you, you like to go to bed at 9.30 in the evening, so it learns how to send you a text message at, at, at 9.15 and say, hey, Zev, did you remember to take your medications? And if you didn't take your med, or if you did take your med, then it says, hey, great, and, and tells you a joke, so you can go to sleep with a smile on your face. You know, very simple things, nothing that is grand, you know, technology that's, you know, NASA, uh, but, but it really makes a big difference. But the point is that it's not going to be physical or digital or automated. It's going to be all of them combined. The care of, of different patients are going to be taking more or less of these different modalities. And by the way, frankly, the care of any one patient over their lifetime is going to balance differently between these three modalities. But one thing that I think is inevitable is that all three will be participating in the way healthcare envelopes its patients. Now, we all know that one of those is very expensive, but very, you know, has great outcomes. And the other one is less expensive, but maybe is less authoritative. There's advantages and disadvantages for each and every one of them. But depending on the patient and their condition, they will benefit from all three. I think that that is going to do two things. One is, this is actually going to dramatically lower the cost of care, which I know hundreds of thousands of people on your podcast have said that they have the solution to lower the cost of care, and probably I'm adding as the one million one or whatever it is. But our, we already know that the ability to move the patient from a very expensive care setting to a lower care setting by advancing what could be done in that lower care setting is the most powerful way of removing cost out of the system. I didn't invent this, you didn't invent it. It's actually attributed to Clay Christensen from Harvard Business School. He was the one that kind of talked, talked about that in, in length. So if we are able to do so by expanding what could happen in the patient's home, if we are more comfortable discharging the patient from the hospital because we know that we're not sending them to the Wild West, but rather we're sending them into their own home, but that home has the capability to look after them, to monitor them, and as necessary, raise the hand and say, give out, we need to get you back into, you know, into another care setting. The moment that clinicians have that in the back of their mind, they may be willing to let the patient go home a day earlier. That day is worse tens of thousands of dollars in most cases. So this is a very concrete example of how fortifying that kind of patient side part of their healthcare experience, making sure that it is more knowledgeable, it's more agile, actually takes tremendous amount of cost from the part that costs the most. The other piece of the puzzle, however, I said there are two, two things. One is the cost element, hmm. but the other piece that is so important is and we talked about it a little bit on, you know, on the MIT talk. Getting cost of the system is, is obviously, you know, existential need for us. But it has to also change people's experience with healthcare. It has to deliver value that is subjective, not only objective. And most of the people that deal with healthcare economics say, oh, we just need objective data, which is true. You know, that's what science is based on. But if you want to change people's behavior, which is a big reason why they consume healthcare, you have to make it feel better for them too. It has to 
resonate with people that don't read healthcare economics today. And the way that these technologies work then out is by way of reassurance. It gives us as consumers, as patients, mostly if you think about the people that consume most of the healthcare dollars, these are the, the elderly, the polychronic, the people that actually have a lot of different healthcare concerns and healthcare conditions. If you tell them and their families, listen, you can go home, but something is going to watch over you. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to be with you when you have pain at three o'clock in the morning. Someone is going to be talking to you about the, the side effects of the medication. And did you get out of bed today? And, and did you eat enough? And whatever it is, and all of those kind of elements. And that thing is not going to be a little app on your phone. That thing has the ability to bring the whole power of the healthcare system to you as necessary. That notion that healthcare is always on next to you and is ready to rally as necessary is a very powerful message. And if you think about elder care, if you think about people who are trying to stay in their home for as long as they can, the introduction of that presence of healthcare next to them can allow them to gracefully age longer. It can allow them to be more comfortable with their reality. And, and it can, of course, save them from a lot of bad events that otherwise will go unnoticed or get, or get delayed. That, that is the, to me, that is the biggest promise. If we can make healthcare experience for people that need a lot of healthcare dramatically different with these technologies, that will in turn change the way they consume healthcare, which will in turn move the needle on cost. That's really brilliant. Thank you for, for kind of reviewing those three domains. I think Im implicit in what you're saying too, you talked about radically reducing the cost of care and improving the experience of care, that notion of reassurance, the sort of quadruple aim or quintuple aim came to mind. Cause I think at the same time, what you're talking about will reduce costs, but it'll also improve outcomes, which often people think about reduction in cost at the expense of outcomes, but this actually will improve outcomes because of its preventive nature. It also will, or I think because of the reduction in cost, be much more equitable, reaching many more people that can't access healthcare for lots of reasons like transportation or just the plain cost of care. And then I think even that quintuple aim notion of helping providers and dealing with the notion of the, the shortage of providers we have today. And so, some, I was just talking to someone in a recent uh, podcast episode and they talked about, wow, what are we going to do with this shortage? And the answer is technology. I mean, it's, it's there to, as you point out, leverage clinicians, greatly leverage. So I think what you're talking about addresses the entire quadruple and even quintuple aim even before when you were talking about your acquisitions of Converse and Silver Cloud. And initially, one of the questions that popped up in my mind, and so I have to think others are, are wondering about the same thing, this notion of the that third domain, that automated care that's extending the presence of healthcare around patients and with you there all the time. I can imagine people thinking, well, I'm not sure I want that, right? The, the sort of privacy and, and data intrusion. I have some answers about that, but I want to hear your thought about that. Yeah, I think... Well, that's that, that can be an hour on its own. But um, <laughs> I think that, you know, we've seen over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, mm -hmm. especially when you look at health plan at the health plan market, we've seen a proliferation of benefits mm -hmm. programs by great companies 
that achieve you know a variety of different goals whether it's you know to get your hemoglobin a1c down if you're diabetic or to lower your anxiety or to help you manage your your breathing if you're asthma or COPD patient or a variety of other things there are hundreds and hundreds of these programs and applications that are targeting a thing and some of them do it really 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 well the challenge is not so much about the programs and how well they are the challenge is with the fact that a lot of people don't use them most people don't use them and every pair executive that you're going to every health plan executive that you're going to talk to will say yeah we have amazing things for our members but their utilization rate is actually very low usually in single digits and you know there's 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 books and books that were written about patient engagement and patient activation and all of that kind of stuff trying to solve the problem but if you you know what's been the truth for for over 10 years is probably a deeper truth than just a problem of marketing we have seen over and over again that for some peculiar reason even though the truth is out there about what's the right thing to do for you as a patient most patients won't do it and if you kind of try and I'm, this is just my opinion but i think you know it's 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 an interesting perspective maybe one of the most profound things about healthcare is that when we are sick we want to be taken care of and every word here is really really key because when we're sick we don't want to start shopping for healthcare services that's probably the last thing you want to do when you are feeling ill or or god forbid you have you know something even more serious a lot of the technologies of healthcare whether these are the variety of digital programs or or others are designed for people who are proactive because it's technology right so like you download an app and you install it and you set it up and you check, you know put your password in and connect it to your this and that technology bluetooth or or peak flow meter or electronic scale or whichever one it is for the most part most of these technologies most of these benefits require the patient to be the one seeking the solution one of the wonderful things about being sick in bed and by the way one of the experiences that is actually i don't want to say gratifying but is actually comforting of being in a hospital is that the only thing that you need to do is be in bed the nurses will come in the clinician will come in people will take care of you blood's going to be drawn treatments are going to be administered you just need to sit there and be cared for so when we talk about the new generation of these technologies it's not only that they need to be you know feel comforting and human and everything else and smart and and learn and all of that kind of stuff we need to try and think about them as ones that work with people that are passive and i'm not suggesting that consumers are passive people or whatever it is but rather that if we if we bring automation to patients it needs to do two things it needs to rely and extend the guidance that they receive from the one person in healthcare that they actually listen to which is the doctor and i know that that's a loaded topic or their clinician but mostly their doctor 
we do what our doctor tells us to do. And the second thing is that it needs to require them to do little. It needs to go and communicate to them as an activation rather than wait for them to log in and sign up and interact in, in various ways. These two elements are dramatically different than how most of our automated healthcare technologies built today. So what we're doing is all of that automation that we talked about, we're not letting patients subscribe to it. We're actually allowing their clinicians to prescribe it. So if I'm your doctor and I'm talking to you and you have asthma and I'm going to meet you again, I'm going to see you again in, in a month or two months or whatever it is, I'm going to say, listen, you could use some help in managing your airways and your asthma and your symptoms. And the moment that we hang up here, I'm going to turn on a, a, a communicate. I'm going to turn on a companion for you that is going to hold your hand and help you walk through the next month until we see each other again. And if it finds that something is wrong, don't worry. It knows how to find me and bring me back to you. But it's prescribed by the clinician. The second thing is that once it gets prescribed, it's always outbound. It always pings you to say, hey, did you take your meds? How did you sleep last night? How are you feeling today? Did you do that or this? Do you have the money to buy the medication? Do you have enough of it? Those kind of things and wait for response from you to the proactive reach out. These sound like small things, but they actually build those solutions in a way that is much more aligned with how we feel as patients rather than how it serves the cause of clinical outcomes. And as I mentioned before, most of these programs don't deliver the outcomes, not because they're bad, but because people stop using them. Uh, absolutely true. I'm wondering if, as you're describing this, you mentioned before your acquisitions, Mwell's acquisitions of Conversa and, and SilverCloud in the chronic disease space and behavioral health space. Is what you're describing now, is that something you can give an example of, let's say, with a Conversa module? Is that something that can be prescribed for a patient, let's say, with heart failure, diabetes, or? Yeah, so the, the, the Conversa capabilities have been in the market for, you know, for a good number of years. They generate both, I should say, both Conversa and SilverCloud have been in the market for multiple years. Uh, they've grown to become, you know, the good companies that they are. And there's, there's a lot of data about their use in, in a variety of different health systems and variety of different governments. In the case of SilverCloud, they have international business with the NHS and others, and they have proven depending on what program you're using, they've proven to either dramatically change the outcome of patients, dramatically change the involvement of patients in the care that they get. And in many cases, when it comes to medical care, deal with readmissions, deal with cancellations of surgery and a variety of other kind of points in time or, or, or measurements of healthcare that people want to intervene with through automation. What is new, is the incorporation of those capabilities into the telehealth part of things, which is that notion of having those programs not only interact with the patient and then when something bad happens, say, listen, we're done here. You're on your own. Go, go, go to care. Figure out where to go. Now these programs are tied into the ability, something is wrong with you. Do you mind if we get a clinician 
in front of you and automatically put the patient in the queue. So a couple of minutes, a clinician comes in and says, oh, I see what happened. This is what we need to do. That capability is brand new. That's being rolled into the market as we speak right now. I don't have the studies on it because it's that new, but that is what 2022 brings to the mix. I want to sort of introduce now this notion of platforms in healthcare and ask you to speak a little bit about Converge. I guess as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm wondering, have you been sort of describing essentially the role of a platform in healthcare, or is that just trying to connect what you've been sharing with us with that notion of platform? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the notion of platform in healthcare is, is fairly new. I think that you know, the revolution has been happening very, very quickly. COVID has really helped people accept that some part of their healthcare is going to happen over technology. For a period of time, that understanding was fairly, I don't want to say myopic, but was fairly um, straightforward that the visit with a doctor that used to happen in the office is now going to happen on your phone. So really kind of change of a place of where things happen, but not really change anything else. It was just where you would see the doctor. Now, there is a completely different narrative of saying, if we are able to interact with patients digitally, if we're able to surround patients digitally, and they're okay with getting some of those services through technology, should the practice of medicine change? For example, if we think about a cancer patient who until today you know lives with most of their life with chemotherapy at home not in the hospital our interaction with those patients happens once every couple of weeks when they show up in the outpatient clinic or in the hospital to get to get care and then otherwise they're they're all alone at home that's the cookbook right that's that's the, the, the standard of practice of how you treat a patient with, with, with that kind of cancer. If we're now able to utilize technologies to actually check up on them every day, both automatically, but also maybe a couple of days with the nurse literally kind of coming in to check in for a couple of minutes to say, how are you? And maybe a couple of days, every couple of days, a nutritionist literally shows up in the patient home digitally to say, what are you eating? Because we know that you know, that, that's an issue with cancer patients and so on, would we rewrite the cookbook? Would we say that the standard of practice of managing a cancer patient is a much more diverse grid of interactions that are utilizing both physical and digital? The, the reason why that, you know, is the beginning of the answer to your question is because if we are re-envisioning how our world of touch points with patients look like, then this isn't anymore about video conferencing. It's about completely different view of scheduling, completely different view of follow-ups, com completely different view, view of analytics and the role in the hands of clinicians to take care of patients. It also means that it isn't a one-to-one -one video conferencing, but rather everybody that is responsible to some dimension of managing that complex patient need to be able to virtually walk in and out of their reality to do their job. These are just little, you know, kind of innuendos that gives you the sense that we're no longer looking at telehealth as products, but we're looking at the 
digital delivery of care as an infrastructure that needs to tie in to the traditional infrastructure of healthcare, be they the EHRs, the identity management system, the prescription systems, the claim systems, and, and you know, billing eligibility and all of that kind of stuff. And that all of these are platform plays. All of these are not product plays. And I think that the, you know, one of the most really gratifying experiences of the last, you know, year, year and a half post the, the acute care of COVID is that the leaders of the organizations we work with in healthcare get that. That is the new narrative. They're buying platforms. They're buying infrastructure for the next decade. They're not buying a video conferencing system. And how would you, for someone who is new to this concept of platforms, could you use an analogy from another industry or classic question, if I was six years old, how would you explain platforms to me or use a, an example that I might understand? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give two examples and you're, you're, it's really a tough question because there's so many interpretation to platforms in the industry right now. But if you think about it, Amazon is a website, right? It's an, it's, it has a face. So there's something that you can actually touch and feel and use to get, you know, the stuff that you want. That is an end product that you use as a as a consumer but on its own having a website that you can interact with means absolutely nothing if it cannot broker the goods that you want to buy and the goods don't live inside amazon they actually live with a lot of manufacturers. They live in a lot of producers of those goods. They, they, some of them are in warehouses and some of them are in private locations of whoever, whoever created them or wants to sell them. The platform under Amazon is that giant switchboard that allows manufacturers of goods to say, I have something to sell, allows Amazon to catalog them and classify them in a way that people can discover them, then puts them in front of consumers, get their notion of do you want to get them, and facilitate, if they say I do, facilitate the whole chain of electrons to get that, that piece of inventory from where it resides right now into the hands of consumers. And that's the part that you don't see. Right, you just see the web page with, oh yeah, yeah, it's there. I can buy it. That's it. So maybe the distinction that you make between the face of Amazon, which is a product, and the platform of Amazon that feeds and fulfills what that product promises, to me is is viscerally the best way that I can explain a platform. And in healthcare, it gets even more complicated because we know that. The notion of acquisition of healthcare services is not really a consumer kind of thing. It's more of a provider prescription kind of thing, but still the analogy remains. That was a super helpful description. And I could see how those things you talked about in terms of the analytics that are required for the Amazon platform to work, right? Yeah. It, just to use your metaphor, I mean, it, it's not just the fact that you're right, I go on one click, I order and magically the products delivered literally to my doorstep, sometimes within hours, if not a day or so, the fact that vendors are able to go on Amazon. So it's this huge 
digital marketplace, but underneath it is all that analytics to the point where the analytics even knows what I want, or if I want something, it'll say, well, have you considered these other things? And by the way, here's a way for you to judge and compare these things either by cost or by features, et cetera. So I think it's a great analogy. I think where you were just saying though, is that healthcare is different in that it's not just a consumer vendor play or marketplace, but largely, and again, you talked a lot about this, the notion that the clinicians, the prescribers are going to be on that platform as well, ordering interventions and, and offering them to the patients too. So that it's even some ways more complex than platforms in other industries. Yeah, healthcare never fails to make things more complicated. I think that's one of the reasons why we have a podcast here, but the, it's part of the reality, but it doesn't change the fact that the digital distribution in any industry has a lot of things in common, but has a lot of things that are unique to it. You know, there is, I, I would argue that the solutions that have been put in place always need to be very inventive. You know, if you think about buying shoes on Amazon or, or online in general, when I grew up, the way you bought shoes is you went into a store and you wiggled your toes in it to feel, you know, is it comfortable? Is it not comfortable? And your mom would kind of put their fingers to see where your toe was. And that was the way that you chose a shoe and, and bought it. And of course, how would you be able to do that online? And the, the solution for that is not to give you the virtual you know, way to wiggle your toes, but come up with really, really smart return policies. Mm -hmm. That's why people buy shoes, because you can buy them, they get home, you, you test them out, you don't like them, you return them and get something else or a bigger size. So in healthcare, just like in, in that example, there is a world of solutions. There's even peripheral industries that are going to come to life in order to allow to, to support this notion of redistribution of healthcare over technology, to support the notion of digital companionship inside the healthcare reality of any given patient, the notion of reconciling how do you find a physician and how, or how do you find a clinician? There's definitely a lot that's happening in Capitol Hill right now in terms of state licensure and how you know, from something that was supposed to guard the quality of the care that we get, it's becoming a little bit of a hindrance to our ability to pull together as a country. But, but, but this is, these are all good things, right? I mean, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic in seeing those things evolve in front of our eyes to really allow the flow over those platforms to come to life at large scale. It's not going to happen between today and tomorrow. It may be going to take a year or two or three. One thing that I would say, however, is that it's going to happen faster than you think, just because the digital age and digital solutioning always happens faster than traditional industries. But that, that, that's happening right now. Roy, a, a clarifying question then I, I want to ask you about that shift, that remarkable shift you said from leaders across the country in healthcare are beginning to make that shift from thinking about programs to thinking about platforms before we, you answer that, as you describe the platform, and, and I'd love to hear actually more about the Converge platform, to me, it seems like those three domains you talked about, the in real life, in person, virtual digital domain, and then the automated domain, all of those three domains, could they be managed by the platforms of the future? I think they have to be 
facilitated. I don't know that they need to be managed by the platform because I think the platform wins when it is designed with the understanding that you need to leave the endpoints with flexibility. So if your physical, let's say, you know, one of those three, if the physical world where physicians actually see patients or perform surgery of patients, those need to continue to be facilitated by the EHRs because that's the language of hospitals, right? I mean, I don't think that that's going to change, even if those platforms are, are, are built and extended. I think the platforms have to understand that when a patient needs to be ported into the physical reality, it needs to speak the language of, okay, what is the scheduling availability inside that hospital to kind of allow the, for example, the, the, the virtual clinician who sees the patient to say, listen, you need to actually become, you know, you need to come and be seen. There is an appointment open tomorrow at four o'clock in that facility right next to where you live. So there is definitely connection between the infrastructures that are associated with any one of these different three big care settings, but those are connections. It's not that the platform is going to take over. And by the way, I, I'm a strong believer in accepting the fact that you can't be good at everything. Having a platform that controls the world of healthcare, I think could definitely solve a lot of different issues, but I just don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. So crawl, walk, run. So, Roy, that's interesting. So it seems like you're painting a picture where we've moved from partnerships that bring us programs or services to potentially, and tell me if I'm understanding this, but a place where partnerships really are about connecting platforms on top of which programs and services can sit. Yes, I'll put it this way. I think that humility understanding where your skills start and end and that you are a cog in a bigger picture and a bigger wheel is critical for the design of good platforms. And, and I think that uh, hubris, kind of the counter, you know, the polar opposite of that has resulted in a lot of organizations, especially, you know, very large technology companies that try to get into healthcare thinking, oh, we're just going to use whatever it is that we have in order to, to rewrite the system and, and dominate all of it has consistently showed that it didn't work. So yeah, I would say the biggest ingredient for technology success is, is humility. It sounds to me like that's a lesson a lot of stakeholders in healthcare could learn from. I think traditionally, not being coy about this, I think traditionally hospital systems and healthcare systems have been very insular, it's sort of the we can do this ourselves, we can build this ourselves. What I'm hearing your message is everyone's got their areas of focus, their areas of expertise, their superpowers, but the notion that you can do it all, build it all, be it all may not be reasonable, especially in this future. What do you think about that? Yes, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I think you said it. So if people blame me in saying this, I'm just gonna refer them to you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Exactly so, right. <laughs> so converge i mean could you share or give an example i know it's new i know it's early and i'm thinking in terms of even sort of a vignette about what's the value of a converge platform for a healthcare system for the patients for the providers what, what does that look like 
so Converge, maybe the best way to describe it, and it's not doing it justice, is it's a giant switchboard for the acquisition and delivery of, of healthcare services, live healthcare services. It brokers, it has the, the knack of being able to tap into where clinicians are and their availability and do all of the, and at the same time, have the understanding of where patients are, their patients, or just you know new patients that are coming in, and has the ability to orchestrate the availability of one to the other. That is actually a fairly complex fit of engineering, not only because healthcare makes things complicated in terms of insurance and and you know licensure and state licensure and credentialing and network definition and so on but also because the way that people come together are drastically different if this is a patient coming for the flu for urgent care or whether that's a cancer patient that's being regularly checked on by their clinical team or whether it is a clinician on one side of the country trying to help clinicians in New York City during the peak of COVID to intubate patients because that's the reality that they, they live. All of these are transactions that this system can broker. What eventually, to the point that you, you, know, you asked about the experience, what eventually it will translate to is an expansion of the ability of people to experience the kind of healthcare that they need in the environment that they choose to be in. And I know this sounds very high level, but in a way, if we go back to Amazon, if you think about you know, a person in North Dakota in the middle of winter can buy the same stuff on Amazon that you can buy in a June day in New York City. That is how dramatic the difference of Converge is gonna to be to people going down the line. What a brilliant future. As you're talking about, I'm, the words that come to mind are images is Converge is really a connector. It's a convener. I suspect there's some curation, again, in terms of safety and quality and all that. Yes. As you're talking, I, I see this image of that notion. I mean, now we're so locked into that notion of your provider, your clinician, your team, so geolocated, but I think you're you're painting a picture of a world where no matter where you are, this can bring the right type of care to you. And it could be even between clinicians, as you were just yes. pointing out. And it is humble enough to understand that it is not creating its own shadow world of healthcare, but rather facilitating the reach of the existing traditional brands of healthcare to wherever they can deliver value. We're not trying to come up with an alternative to the Cleveland Clinic. We're not trying to change the credibility of a Blue Cross Blue Shield or United or CVS or whatever it is. We're trying to make sure that the services that are of value that they deliver can reach much, much further. And it's not us. The Amwell brand, you know, if we do things right, you will never see the Amwell brand. Hmm. One of the sort of lessons I've learned about platforms, or, or at least one of the comments, I don't know if it's a lesson, a comment. Well, the question is, how many platforms can exist in healthcare? Do you see a world where there are multiple platforms or, or is there sort of like a winner? Amazon seems to be a dominant platform in our lives. Is there one platform that would dominate or do you, you see a world where you're gonna 
you're going to need to have multiple platforms that actually connect with each other. You know, I, I would love to think that the world is democratic. I actually don't think that that's exactly the case. Usually there is a dominant force, you know, just like Amazon became a dominant force, even though other people tried to give it a run for its money. And, you know, we, we, we search for things by Googling, which is a verb, even though there were alternatives for that. Right. So I think that in the switchboard world, there's not going to be a lot of players. There's going to be just a few. I think in the end platforms, you know, where like the, the website that we talked about or like the app or whatever it is, or like the EHR or, you know, the, the, the home care biometric device or whatever it is, I think that in those areas, there's going to be a lot of variation, a lot of different platforms and solutions. But the chassis, those kind of big pipelines that connect them, you're going to see very few, very few competitors. I think it's going to end up with winners. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It is sort of a nuanced conversation because even in what you were saying, as, as I was trying to picture it, something sitting on a platform could be another platform actually. And so where is that line between as programs or services or products become more platform-like? Are there sort of larger platforms and then smaller platforms and even smaller platforms? I don't, I don't know if that's too much uh, imagining, but uh, that's the sort of visual I was seeing as you were just talking. Well. You know, it, it, I think you said it, right? I mean, a, a, one of the most important characteristics of a platform is that it connects. Mm -hmm. If, you know, as you get further and further to the periphery, you connect less and provide product functionality. Mm -hmm. You're kind of the end point of the branch of that tree. I think that true platforms really do nothing but connecting. And as you move further and further to the side, you see more and more feature functions. But I don't know that there is a black and white demarcation line. Let me ask one final question if you would. Sure. Is there any, anything we've missed here? Is there a comment, a critical point, something most of us are not thinking, just anything you want to kind of sneak in here at the last minute? I think, you know, we, 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 we very briefly touched that point at some point in the conversation today. I think that to a lot of people, still these technologies are perceived as another way to do the same thing we've always done. Hmm. Take the office visit and do it on your phone. It's the same stuff, just a different place. The promise is that we're going to be able to change the way healthcare is experienced that we're going to be able to give people the reassurance that they can be cared for in their own environment that they're not making any kind of a concession by choosing to live in place x versus place y that clinicians that have a certain level of or certain kind of knowledge like primary care clinicians can tap into the knowledge of an oncologist from Dana-Farber Memorial Sloan Catering for a patient of theirs as needed. These are completely rethinking of the way care happens. And I think that a lot of, a lot of the market is still kind of married to that easier to comprehend, easier to understand notion of let's just do it on the phone versus the logistical power 
of what these technologies bring to the table and our ability to rewrite our healthcare experience through them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's such an important point. It opens up a whole new realm. Roy, I'm going to let you go in 30 seconds. I, I just want to thank you so much. I think the one, the one thing, every time I talk to you, I just want to talk to you some more. It's just so... So Sign engaging. me up, Anytime. <laughs> and before we, again, thank you, Roy, for being here, the co-founder and CEO of Amwell. And as I do every episode, I conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients and those of you supporting those who are taking care of patients. We truly appreciate you for what you do and, and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, our society. I think what we've been talking about today with Dr. Roy Schoenberg is going to make what you do so much more effective and reaching so many more people in so many ways and just so exciting. So my friends, you can hear the passion in my voice and the excitement after speaking with Roy Schoenberg today. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be safe and be well.